So hello again from the Martini Clinic. Declan Murphy here with Dr. Deria Tilke, old friend of mine and urologist here at the Martini Clinic. Deria, thanks for joining us again on GUCast. Thank you and welcome again to our Martini Clinic. You've been here the third time. Yeah, and look, it's always great to come back to this world-famous radical prostatectomy center, which is not just a radical prostatectomy center, uh, although it does 10 or 12 prostatectomies a day. It's also become a huge center for prostate cancer research, and that's really what I wanted to talk to you about, because apart from being a busy surgeon here at the Martini Clinic, you also lead the research program at the Martini Clinic. So that's what I really want to talk to you about, because I recall Marcus Grafen, the chief of urology, many years ago when he was explaining to us the... Uh, the uh, setup of the Martini Clinic, how it was founded with himself and Hartwig Kuhland, but also how they built in uh, maintenance of good quality and um, an, uh, well annotated research into every patient experience. And that's now leading to a lot of really important papers. So can I ask you about your database, the database you have here at the Martini Clinic? Yeah, sure. So um, actually the database uh, was founded by Professor Hulland in 1992, that's 30 years ago. And although uh, it's unusual for a university hospital to have such a database, he used uh, own research funding for this uh, database. Uh, he actually has his own employees only taking care of the database. It's, uh, it was maybe starting with two people. Now we have five full-time employees only working at database-related um, issues. And uh, what's really special about it is that it was already started before even the Martini Clinic was founded. So as I said, 1992, because Professor Huland was back then the chair of the Department of Urology. And by now we have 35,000 radical prostatectomies with follow-up within that Amazing. database. Um, so it's really huge. And the longer it goes, the more um, it's valuable. It is valuable, yeah. Exactly. Because one of the areas that you've published a lot about just in the last few years, but takes that sort of long-term follow-up to uh, to study, is biochemical recurrence. So some of the best papers I've seen coming out of the EAU group, guidelines group, um, which you're very involved with, are on biochemical recurrence. And I know it's data from the Martini Clinic that has helped drive that. So you do need to have long follow-up to show that, for example, we can stratify patients into a high risk of recurrence or low risk of recurrence. And mm -hmm. um, so this sort of data is, I presume, very useful for, for helping drive that sort of initiative. Yeah, exactly. And um, <clears throat> and the last year also we had a couple really uh, nice papers on uh, the endpoint cancer-specific survival, which even needs much longer. So it's really valuable yeah. for knowing um, what we should do. And also things like, for example, uh, node uh, involvement, pathological node involvement, benefits of adjuvant versus salvage radiotherapy. I'm just listing out stuff that you've published on uh, in the past few yeah. years and allowing yourselves to collaborate with other large institutions around Europe and around the world uh, to, to you know, understand better how these patients do is a great initiative. It's one of the key things that research here has done. But obviously it's not easy maintaining a, a database, five full-time employees, yeah. tens of thousands of patients. Um, is it a constant challenge keeping all that up to date? Yeah, exactly. Uh, it was difficult in the beginning and uh, mostly for Hartwig Huland to really um, get it through to get funding for these employees because they don't bring in um, clinical work, but it's only maintaining the database yeah. and that's not always what um, CEOs want to see. Exactly. They want uh, numbers of radical prostatectomies, but they 
it's not their first focus to think about long-term research. And the two other areas I wanted to briefly ask you about that feed off this great database are, uh, first of all, quality of care. So I recall from years and years gone back, you've internally uh, looked at how, you, how your patients are doing from a continence point of view and from a nerve sparing point of view. And one paper I remember in particular was um, about um, maximizing urethral length. And it was based out of a discovery within your own internal group to say, oh, how come one of our uh, surgeons has got better continence rates, blah, blah, blah. And you actually went back and looked at videos together in your own audit. And then uh, by looking at the quality of one person exceeding another's, people realized it was to do with the apex and maximizing urethral length. I mean, this is a number of years ago before this was mm -hmm. better recognized. And then when all the other surgeons went and adopted their technique, again, the following months, you can measure it. So this is another reason to maintain your data prospectively is just internally you can use it as a, a quality tool to make sure that, that you're doing the best for all your patients. Yeah, uh, exactly so. Uh, and that uh, we meet every six months and among the faculty, which is also unique. I don't think that's uh, taking place in every place. Yeah. And we talk about uh, functional outcomes, oncological outcomes. And as you say, if we see somebody else has really unique good outcomes compared to others we try to see what's the reason or if somebody has changed something a year ago uh, we see has that improved the outcomes or are they worse now it's really a quality control mechanism. Fantastic. And the last one I wanted to ask you about was biomarkers, because, of course, the other great thing that having a very large database gives an opportunity is to do things like that, to test new biomarkers in prostate cancer, either on archival samples or prospective samples going forward. Uh, and so do you want to talk to us a little bit about your interest in biomarkers or even just to say how that this huge database is helping engage with the biomarker industry? Yeah, absolutely. So we have uh, multiple projects going on, some of them just in the contract phase, and we are validating some of the uh, more known biomarkers with regards not only to the radical prostatectomy uh, adverse pathology outcome, for example, but also, and this is most valuable for the biomarker companies, uh, for long-term outcomes such as metastasis-free survival, cancer-specific survival and um, what we also have is not only uh, data but also uh, tissue and blood samples, urine samples and these uh, are all being used for biomarker validation. Fantastic. Well, thank you for welcoming me back again to the Martini Clinic. Uh, we're in the shadow of the old building, but of course it's been exciting during this trip to hear that your new building is shooting up. I'll have to come back again. Yeah, thank you so much to have you here again. Thank you. So next up at the Martini Clinic, we're joining Dr. Tobias Maurer uh, for some radio-guided surgery. This is one of the highlights of my trip this time around, is to visit Martini Clinic and catch up with Tobias, who's an old friend of mine. He has the world's largest experience of doing salvage pelvic lymph node dissection using radiosurgical assistance. So this means that patients have a PSMA PET CT that identifies a pelvic lymph node recurrence following previous surgery or radiotherapy, and then they receive a PSMA technetium labeled injection the day prior to surgery. And then during surgery, we use a gamma probe to identify that lymph node metastatic deposit. He's published very extensively on this in the open surgical setting and in more recent times has also worked with industry to develop a drop-in probe, a robotic radiosurgery probe, which we heard about on a previous episode of GUCast when we visited Amsterdam, to use this radiosurgical approach during robotic surgery as well as open surgery. 
So today at the Martini Clinic, we had lined up uh, two of these cases. The first was a robotic radiosurgery approach, but unfortunately the poor patient has tested positive on a COVID swab. So that case has been postponed. And instead the case we're about to go into is an open surgical uh, right-sided pelvic lymph node dissection. Tobias is gonna to show us some of the images, but this is a patient um, many years following radical prostatectomy and salvage radiation therapy, who now has a PSA of 0.35 and has a small uh, lymph node on a PSMA PET CT in the region of the right obturator fossa. So he's going to have an open salvage pelvic lymph node dissection uh, using a radio guided surgery approach. So he had his technetium PSMA INS injection yesterday and he's had a spec CT this morning. We're going to join Tobias and have a look at the MR PSMA PET fusion uh, and also the spec CT. And another highlight for me is I'm going to scrub in and assist Tobias doing this surgery. I've previously operated here doing a robotic prostatectomy as visiting professor a few years ago, but now I'm gonna to get to scrub in and assist the master, Dr. Tobias Maurer, in doing open salvage pelvic lymph node dissection. So this is a pet MR. Yeah. And that tiny, tiny spot here. I can show you the MR. They have different sequences, of course, which makes it also longer than yeah. the whole examination. And here you see this tiny spot here. There's the bright spot, which is uh, some sort of vessel. And then there's this tiny spot that f comes and fades. And that's probably a small lymph node. And here the lymph node. In the fossa. In the and that's exactly the sort of thing that would be very difficult to track down with conventional surgery because it's so easy to miss uh, yeah. that distribution. I mean, of course, you have your anatomical uh, location and you know where to go. But to find this and to ensure that you really have dissected it, you can do the ex vivo measurements. But this will be a tricky one yeah. to also uh, get with a, with a technetium PSMA. Yeah, so we see. <laughs> Through a lower midline incision, I assist Tobias as he dissects the right side of the pelvic side wall. He exposes the common iliac and traces it down to the distal branches in the deep pelvis, identifying the ureter en route. He uses the gamma probe intraoperatively to look for high signal suggestive of involved lymph nodes. Reassessment of this tissue following removal confirms, confirms very high signal and subsequent pathology confirms that he has removed the recurrent lymph node. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see, I mean, it's a little bit scarred here. Yeah. Wow. 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 Very impressive. So, what was it?
54 is not good. Uh, sure. Yeah, no. 94. 94, yeah. Also, Fossa 94. That's amazing. Just one little thing. It must be like three or four millimeters in, uh, in size. So I'm joined here at Martini Clinic by my old friend, Dr. Tobias Maurer, urologist here at the Martini Clinic. Tobias, thank you very much for welcoming me to your fantastic hospital. Anytime, anytime, Declan. Great. So <laughs> we go back a long way. I remember first meeting you in 2015 at the EAU annual meeting. And back at that time, you were working in Munich. And I recall you had presented this lovely poster all about PSMA pet imaging uh, mm -hmm. and so on. And we had only about one year before done our first PET scan. I recall you and I having a nice chat in the poster or the oral session mm -hmm. uh, and we made friends and then I invited you to come to Australia a few months oh, later yeah. and we had a great That was really nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and here we are all these years later and you've moved. You're here at the world famous Martini Clinic and uh, great to see you here. Well, thank you, Declan. I mean, I get goosebumps not only from the chills here, but also the, the first images that was really yeah. it. It was totally different new urology and prostate cancer care. And I mean, that was just for us amazing and also all the development and I mean you contribute now with Australia with your studies a lot to the knowledge and um, yeah so one of the things that that era started was you know the in, the recognition that PSMA PET CT was going to be able to detect small lesions following prior, prior treatment classically patients had a radical prostatectomy and as we know maybe up to 25 percent of patients will have psa recurrence so the psa mm -hmm. is 0 0.2 0 0.3 0 0.4 and of course no sort of imaging up to this has ever been able to detect those recurrences mm -hmm. so therefore patients tend to get um, uh, offered things like salvage radiotherapy again which can lead to failure because sometimes that's not where the recurrence is so the reason this is, well, this is a very topical area, but PSMA PET was able to detect recurrences down at these very low levels. And uh, you and many other German colleagues showed that even at PSA levels of 0 0.2, 0 0.4, 0 0.5, we were seeing these very small metastatic deposits. Fast forward to yeah. 2022 to where we are now and what you've done is accumulated the world's largest experience of doing salvage pelvic lymph node dissection mm. for small lymph <clears throat> nodes detected on PSMA PET. And not just finding them and doing salvage node dissection, but using a radio-guided surgery approaches intraoperatively to try and not just understand, you know, uh, we know where the nodes are, left mm. internal iliac, but sometimes they're not easy to find. So using mm. a PSMA radio-guided surgery approach uh, has really, you know, been something that's been very exciting to watch. So can, can I ask you to go back and, and tell us about the early days back in Munich, actually, of well, when you decided to, to start with a PSMA radio-guided surgery approach? Well, actually, that was before the PSMA time, actually. And we did coline PET, yeah, for bladder cancer, prostate cancer, and said, well, everyone is uh, crazy about coline for prostate cancer. Can we try it also to find those yeah. deposits? And we had those big chunk positron probes, maybe like this mic, and <laughs> it didn't work at all. <laughs> well, and then several years back, then uh, or further down the line, PSMA PET and gallium PSMA 11 was terrific, like yeah. you said. And then we said, well, it's so clear the pictures, we can use this probe for radioguided surgery again with the positron probes. And the half-life is probably a, uh, a problem because you have so much background, but we could not really detect the cancers. And then 
Uh, well, we were very lucky that our radiochemists there um, designed other probes and tracers, first with indium-111 as a gamma tracer and then with technetium. Uh, and that was, that was then the thing. I mean, the, it yeah, was really, yeah, yeah, it was, again, a goosebump moment, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so then, uh, I suppose that's evolved to where we are now, and it's predominantly these uh, technetium-labeled uh, uh, PSMA tracers that are mm -hmm. uh, the flavor of the month. That's what you've had your most uh, experience with mm -hmm. in recent times. So these patients have a, an injection the day prior to surgery and then come into surgery. We'll talk about the open surgical approach first. Uh, so tell us a little bit about that. You know, once you picked a tracer that was a mm. good tracer, and then you're using conventional uh, probes, mm. these are easy to find in the operating room, uh, to, to guide yourself to these surgery. What was your initial experience? Was there a lot of background, or were you impressed with <coughs> how you could detect these very small, sometimes metastases? Well, it is, it is different from sentinel approaches. So you yeah. do have background in the, because it's an IV injection, the, a day prior to surgery you do have background and you need to sort of be acquainted also to the locations of those metastases because they're mostly atypically they're small of course you get an idea from anatomically imaging where you want to find them but then I oftentimes had the uh, yeah experience I dissect the tissue in in vivo, in the patient, you do have background. You may, might not be able to detect those small lesions, but then when you remove the tissue and then measure it, and I said, well, I should have dissected it, yeah. and I could not find it. And then I got startled. You need to look again. There and it is, buried down is, in the yeah, palace. And, and then do you dissect more tissue and you find them the node? And that's the first thing the patient asks you the day after surgery. Have you found the node? Because you marked it, you labeled it. So... And that, over time, made me probably be more subtle than also in my preparations and do more dissections and, and finding those yeah, atypical locations. And that was really... And, and my, my recollection from your earlier yeah. papers, I remember your big European urology paper, uh, was that you proved that this approach, a radio guided, PSMA radio-guided surgery approach, was by and large very good at, at finding those small lymph nodes that had been seen on a preoperative PET scan. Um, and you could correctly identify them in the body and then take out the specimen ex vivo and correct that. And also, you were finding some additional sites because PSMA PET is limited by its, its resolution. So mm -hmm. will you mention that a little bit to us? So what about stuff we don't see on a PET scan uh, that you might detect with a gamma probe while you're in there nearby where you know there's a lymph node involved? Mm -hmm. So um, you have to be very critical first also to uh, when you evaluate the scans because sometimes the nuclear medicine physicians gives you that one node but then if there's another one just with very faint uptake you have to be more critical if this one maybe is also on imaging already a lesion but then once you're inside the surgical field you probably might not see uh, measure additional lesions which are very tiny and are not picked up by PSMA PET but when you remove the tissue and have those ex vivo measurements where you don't have any background and today yeah. you saw it uh, I Great mean we example. had like one two counts background and then was it 94 counts yeah. for that small three millimeter lesion so um, there you might detect additional lesions and then about to yeah about five percent of patients I see that um, so I think th that's the first conclusion I have from watching your work evolve over the years is that these PSMA radio-guided surgery reports are very good for detecting intraoperatively these very small lesions and also because it's often not just what, what you see on the scan, check around. But of course, this, the other really big question that arises from this so-called metastasis-directed therapy approach, the idea of taking someone with biochemical recurrence and that using an invasive approach like this to go after the nodes is, 
is it helping patients with their longer term survival? Uh, and I know you've had a big poster uh, uh, this year at ASCO GU um, uh, reporting the, the data on hundreds and hundreds of patients showing what their biochemical recurrence free survival is out at two years and so on. So do you want to talk to us, because that's changed over the years, of course. Do you want to talk to us about, I suppose, those results? What are the data to say if you do a radio guided surgery approach that the survival, the, 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 the recurrence rate will be good? Um, and also then about the, the ideal patient for radio guided surgery. Okay, so first of all, uh, metastatic tissue could be removed in 95% of patients and which is better than is reported for literature for common salvage surgery. Yeah, without radio so guidance. For, without radio guidance, exactly. And then uh, when you look at PSA responses, most patients uh, have a PSA response and we defined complete biochemical response as a PSA postoperatively below 0.2. And then we are about 60%. So 40% don't reach that. And when we look at the median biochemical free survival, it's only roughly seven, eight months. However, of course, most of those patients still have a very low PSA. And when you look then at therapy free survival, we are about three years. Yeah. So that is a gain for the patient. But of course, it's experimental therapy. It's not guideline. And you have to very critical um, try to tease out which are the best patients and you have clinical variables, obviously PSA level, low PSA is better, lower uh, count of lesion is better than higher count. But I don't know, there might be some biomarkers maybe involved where we perform now our biopop study and trying to find maybe some other uh, hints that could identify patients better for these approaches. Yeah, but I've, you've already given us some of the messages that mm. patients who have a relatively low PSA, so below one, uh, is better after prostatectomy, is better than <laughs> 2.5. Um, one, one or two lesions only on the PET scan, and also deep in the pelvis, not above the common iliac, and so on. And right. So we we saw some, also did some surgery on retroperitoneal nodes, but usually these then also have a higher number of nodes. Yes. And so these are not ideal candidates, really. Yeah. And I think that endpoint of saying that okay, in in those patients, they get up to three years treatment treatment-free survival, bearing in mind often that treatment is things like androgen deprivation mm. therapy, radiotherapy. Most patients will value that, but I, I agree with your comment, and that's why the guidelines say that mm. this is still investigative. We should mm. ideally only offer metastasis directed therapy within clinical trials. But I think the advent of PSMA as an imaging agent and definitely this mm. PSMA radio guided surgery, right. I congratulate you again <laughs> that you've, uh, you've taken us this far is the way forward. Now, the last thing I want to ask you about is uh, these so-called drop-in probes. Oh, because, that's exciting. Yeah, <laughs> because of course, you know, for many of us who are very keen on doing minimally invasive surgery, we've watched Tobias and his colleagues doing these salvage node dissections, but it's open surgery using a, a large bulky sentinel probe. Uh, and everyone's always been asking the question, well, can't you make a little probe that we could drop into the robot and offer the patient robotic radio-guided surgery? So that's an exciting field that you and, and our friends in Amsterdam, Henk right. van der Poel and Feis van Leeuwen, uh, have been involved with. And we, we had a podcast with Henk that we just posted mm. recently about that. Uh, but you're still the one who has the most experience uh, in this field. So tell us a bit about where are we at with these robotic radio-guided surgery probes? Well, this takes it really to the minimal invasive level and patients feel very well after surgery. Is I don't want to say it's just like an appendectomy or something, but it's sort of like that. And uh, you can reach basically any position in the pelvis, maybe the presacral area, I still would say, or parietal area, uh, still would prefer the open approach, but maybe this will also change over time. But uh, these drop-in probes are small. You can put it through the assistant trocar. You can maneuver it any way you want. Um, a lot better than the rigid laparoscopic probes that you had. 
previously. So yeah, because that was yeah. never going to work, was it? Having mm. the conventional laparoscopic type probe no. going in there, but having a tiny little flexible mm. probe. Uh, and so you yourself and Henk have published on the mm. so-called drop-in probe from Eurorads. Mm. Um, and then there's a Lightpoint Medical have a probe mm. that's CE marks. They're planning a study on. And here you've been using the Crystal Photonics, a German mm. company. They've now had CE marking for a probe. Mm. Uh, I think so. It's exciting that these are coming into the yeah. uh, availability to the market. But I think we still need to get those studies done. This is an investigative. Uh, of course. Treatment, I mean, yeah. We yeah. <laughs> Australians are good at studies, so let's no. do that. <laughs> let's, let's do, do that. that. Let's do that. Fantastic. Together. Well, look. It was, thank you for having me in the operating room with you today. It was a great privilege to operate with you and see you do this beautiful surgery. And very exciting, I must say, that mm -hmm. moment when you identified that three millimeter mm -hmm. lymph node. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm sure our viewers and listeners mm -hmm. on the podcast enjoyed that as well. So, Tobias, thanks so much. You're welcome. You're welcome, Declan. That's all we have time for on this episode of GU Cast. Thanks very much as ever for joining us. Thank you for sending us comments and suggestions for future episodes. We really appreciate it. I'll be back in Australia next week. I'm looking forward to being reunited with my co-host, Dr. Renu Epen at Peter Mac, who's been holding the fort for me while I've been away on sabbatical for some time. Take care.